Welcome to the Boxing Life Podcast, where we talk about everything from boxing to business. Fighting Manny Pacquiao is is an experience. It's not a fight. Mindset to money. I, I think any business, you have to make it someone's third place. Speaking to some of the world's most interesting people. So that would be considered an example of a biohack, where I'm hacking my biology. From Sutherland, England, now living in Los Angeles, California. You put him in the ring with me in his day, and I'm talking his best day, and I'm 50 right now. I will knock him out. Here's your host, 2008 Olympic medalist and former undefeated professional boxer, Tony Jeffries. If you're into business, especially if you're into the fitness business, you should listen to this whole episode with Bedros Koulian. Bedros owns a fitness empire. He's got a fitness gym franchise with over 700 gyms, and we talk about his goals to take them 700 and turn them into 2,500. He's a content-maker machine. If you're on in the industry, I'm sure you've heard of Bedros Koulian. On this, we talk about how to scale your business, how to hire the right team, how we all started from a, being an immigrant to now being a multimillionaire. And I would highly recommend you follow Bedros on social media, on his Instagram and his YouTube channel. He's always putting out great content on how to help you grow your business. We just got back from England last week doing the Boxing Burn Academy and it was amazing. Thank you for everyone that came. The Boxing Burn Academy is our education program where we teach personal trainers, fitness professionals, former boxers, anyone who wants a career in teaching boxing. You can get more information about that at BoxingBurnAcademy.com. Use code BOXINGLIFE, box, the letter N, the word LIFE, 2018 and you will get $100 off. Now the course is online, so you can do the level one and level two online anywhere in the world at your own pace. BoxingBurnAcademy.com, check that out. Here it is, the Boxing Life Podcast with me, Tony Jeffries, Kevin Watson, Glenn Holmes, and Bedros Koulian. Enjoy. Bedros, welcome to Box and Burn. How's it going, mate? Thank you for having me. It's going well, fellas. Yeah. yeah. Let's start this podcast off with your story. I know you've got a, an amazing story, rags to riches story. Uh, Tell us how it all started. Yeah, yeah, the way it all started. So I, I always like to call myself the immigrant edge and the American dream because I don't know how else to encapsulate my crazy life story. So my father was a member of the Communist Party throughout the 70s. I was the baby of the family. My brother, in 1980, this, the 1980s is important because my brother was about to go into the Soviet Army because we lived in Armenia at the time, and it was under Soviet rule. My dad was a member of the Communist Party. I was six years old. My brother was 19. My sister was 22. And months before my brother was about to go into the Soviet Army and then go to Afghanistan to fight, because back then in the 80s, the Soviet Union was fighting Afghanistan, my dad bribes the Russian consul 25,000 rubles, and we escape into Italy. And from there, go to the American consul, and we say, hey, look, we're political refugees. We don't want to be communists. We believe in the American way. We want freedom. And my dad said, I'll share anything you want about the Soviet Union. I'm a communist member party. And so we were legally entered into the United States on June 16, 1980. And we were broke, poor, didn't understand the language, the culture, but super grateful to be in a country that gives you freedom and opportunity. Go back a few months before that, I remember seeing in Armenia my dad wearing Ray-Bans and Jordache jeans and Adidas shoes. Like, that doesn't happen in a communist country. Like, he was Americanized as it gets. And 
you know, as I got older, I asked, well, why were you a member of the Communist Party then? Because I knew that it was by choice. They give you the choice. Hey, Tony, would you like to be a member of the Communist Party? You have the right to say no. They will immediately ship you to, to Siberia. And so, of course, you have, even though it's a choice, you say yes because you want to see your family. And so this is how he became a member. And unbeknownst to us, the moment he became a member of the party, he decided for the next six, seven years, he was going to work under the table and make up that additional money and build a relationship with a guy in the Russian or in the Soviet consult to be able to bribe him to be able to escape. And so he had planned this out years in advance. And uh, man, what a, what a gift he gave me. Yeah, this is someone like a movie. I, there's actually someone who wants to make it a movie, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I bet. So let's talk about the, the fitness business. When I retired from boxing, I got into fitness. I, I met Kevin, and I remember Googling, like, how, how, how will I get more clients? How do I get clients? And the top search I come up was you. Like, standing in front of a whiteboard. I think you had long hair there. Yeah, and yeah. And you're writing stuff on. And that's the first time I heard of you. So your fitness journey's been going on for forever since I can remember yeah. and I've been in fitness a long time so Eight, 18 years now yeah. yeah tell me about that so you, you've come to America and you started that how, how old were you when you started the fitness journey so I started the dude my fitness journey was crazy the only reason I even got into fitness it was senior year of high school my whole life I grew up as a fat kid um, especially if you're a Armenian we're eating fried everything and usually everything consists of bread or potatoes, very little meat and a lot of fat, a lot of cheese and butter. And so I grew up fat and um, junior year of high school, I remember seeing this girl named Nakaya and thinking, man, senior year next year, and she's going to be my prom date. Having said that, she was smoking hot and I was this foreigner fat kid, right? So there was a guy in my science class, his name is Dave, and he was on the high school football team. And I said, Dave, you're an athlete. How does someone like me get in shape, lose fat over the summer so I can come back next year and ask Nakaya to the prom? And he was kind enough to take me to the, to the school gym. It was the most intimidating environment I'd ever, ever seen, ever been in. And he taught me how to work out, and he said, hey, do you ever read muscle magazines? I'm like, no. So here's Muscle and Fitness, here's Flex Magazine. I started buying more. And over that summer, being a young man, when you commit to anything, working out and eating, like I came back 38 pounds lighter and with more confidence, not enough confidence to ask Nakaya to the prom. So I never made it to the prom and I never asked her, but that absolutely changed my trajectory in life because I was supposed to be a smog technician. Like I was supposed to be the guy that you would take your car to and I would put the little probe in your tailpipe and tell you if you can drive your car in the streets of California. And instead I said, I want, I want others to experience this sense of confidence and self-esteem and transformation that I've had. I'm going to be a personal trainer. Well, in the back of those magazines, they had these little fractional ads that said, get certified as a personal trainer, earn $100 an hour. I'm no math whiz, but I can do the math. $100 an hour, if I just train six clients a day, that's 600 bucks a day. A young man like me is going to do all right. What I didn't realize was that I didn't know how to market. So I was that guy who was a personal trainer, a fry cook, as a side job at Disneyland. And then when I needed more money, I was a bouncer. And I was a bouncer at a gay bar because the gay bar paid more than the straight bar because skinheads would come to gay bash every night. <laughs> you should know that I'm not a fighter. Like if you ask me to go in that ring and fight, 
I would talk my way out of the fight by <laughs> offering you coffee or lunch or a hug. <laughs> and so I used my size and intimidation to break fights up. But when these skinheads would come, holy hell, it was yeah. over, right? And so anyway, I hated the idea of I was the personal trainer and a fry cook and a bouncer, and I was complaining to one of my clients. I only had three clients at the time, personal training clients. And I said, Jim, this is awful. I hate it. Like, I don't know of a cop who's got a side job, a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer. Like, I see myself as a professional, yet mm. I'm not. He goes, you don't know how to sell, kid. And he was very rough around the edges, a well-to-do entrepreneur. I said, well, what do I need to do? He goes, I'm going to bring you a cassette tape. And the next day he brought me a cassette tape on real estate sales by Tom Hopkins. And that led to Brian Tracy, Brian Tracy to Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar, Dan Kennedy, and Jay Abraham, and Tony Robbins. Before you know it, I'm learning you know, influence and persuasion and marketing and sales and networking. And that opened up a whole new world for me. All of a sudden, I can quit my two side jobs. Within three years, I had opened up my first personal training gym. And within the next two years, I had opened up four more personal training gyms. And the rest was history. After selling those gyms, I kind of went into coaching and consulting the industry. Right. Yeah. So you opened up your first gym. Was that called Fit Body Boot Camp? No, no. I actually didn't do boot camps back then. I was the guy that didn't believe in boot camps. So mm. this was 1999. And I didn't believe in boot camps. I looked at personal training as personal one-on-one. And I looked down on people who had any kind of group training or boot camp training. Mm. Very close-minded. Very close-minded. And... So I had one-on-one 30-minute training sessions. Some of the groundbreaking things I did was I would put my clients on reoccurring EFT. So instead of buying five or 10 sessions at a time and then buying more again, they would just pay 600 to $1,200 a month, every month, and I'd take it out of their credit card automatically. That's how I grew my five gyms. But it was called Premier Results and about 2,500 square feet, um, full-on typical gym equipment, you know, cable machines, dumbbells, benches, um, and, and I had eight to 12 personal trainers working at each location and two sales managers selling personal training based on all the what sales. What year was this? Between tw- uh, 1999 and 2003. That was like the sweet spot one of right. my, when I built my five personal training gyms, right? And, um, and so, of course, the economy's rocking. Everyone could afford one-on-one personal training. I look at people doing group training and going, you guys are out of, out, out of your mind. Like, look at all this money I'm making, 600, 1200 bucks a month per client. And um, so, of course, I had the good, good fortune to sell my gyms. I had a killer offer. And here's one of the biggest lessons that I'd learned. That client who was an entrepreneur, Jim Franco is his name. He said, you've got to put your clients on EFT, electronic fund transfer every month, automatic EFT. I said, why? My industry sells five to 10 sessions at a time. We do great. This is how it's always been. He goes, that doesn't mean it has to be that way. He forced me to do it. And it was the greatest single lesson I've gotten from him because the company that came through and bought me out, they weren't buying premier results, my brand. They weren't buying my studios. They bought the $1.7 million of reoccurring income that I had scheduled to come in. They bought my business out because I had built a business that had predictable income. Yeah. So how did you like, let's back up a little bit about when you went from the one gym to the two gyms. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's a big step. Right? Yes, sir. So how, how did that come about? How did you feel ready to do that? It's usually people in process. Those are the two P's that you need when you need to scale anything. You need the right people and you need a process in place or systems, right? Um, I look at the word systems 
as save yourself time, effort, and money. Like if you just look at the word system, save yourself time, effort, and money. That's truly what it is. Because if you're a one location owner, it doesn't matter if you're a gym, a coffee shop, a restaurant. People go, yeah, I have a system. No, you don't. You are the owner. You're the human system because your passion, your enthusiasm is contagious and your staff follows you because you're leading. Once you have to pull yourself out and you haven't created a process, a checklist, unlock the door, turn on the lights, turn on the ovens, that specific, then people are left to assume, well, I can come in and set up the restaurant 10 minutes before it opens. Well, but the owner would come in an hour before so he can greet people. All of a sudden, the process has changed. The client experience has changed. Reputation begins to erode. And so I created, again, through Jim. In fact, I would consult. Jim was my first mentor, and I didn't even know what a mentor was. Hey, Jim, I think I'm ready to open up a second location. What do I need? Well, do you have enough money? Yeah, yeah, I got enough money to rent and build out because I know what my first build out was. Do you have people in place? Nope. I'm just going to hire people as I'm building out. No, 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 no. You need to double up on your, on your employees that you have right now. Your payroll is going to go up. I had no idea. For 60 days, he made me double up on my employees, train a new set of employees for 60 days in my first facility while I was building, up, building out second facility so I can move them all over rather than training them like most people do in the, first, in the second facility. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's people and process. So I had the processes... I was too cheap, and I didn't understand that I had to take on a bigger expense of payroll in order to ensure that those people can run the processes that we have. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what you said even before we started the podcast about your favorite quote about Queen Elizabeth, right? You have yeah. To be seen to be believed, or whatever. Was that what it was? The queen must be, see- be seen to be believed, yeah. So how did you deal with that as you began to expand so much, even into one and two gyms, maybe one thing, but then you go four or five, now you've got yeah. 700. How do you... How are you still seen? Well, so these days with Fit Body Boot Camp, and ironically, the guy who didn't believe in boot camps and would poo-poo on boot camps, uh, we have one of the, actually the largest boot camp franchise on the planet. Um, but the way I'm seen now is through social media. Twice mm-hmm. a week, I'm making a, doing a live Facebook video in our mm-hmm. Fit Body Boot Camp owners private group on Facebook. Um, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out, and then we have our annual Fit Body Boot Camp World Conference. Um, whenever I fly around, wherever I am, I stop at that local Fit Body Boot Camp. Mm-hmm. And so I make sure that I'm constantly seen using technology. Would it sure. be ideal to be in person? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do the next best thing, which is using technology. That's yeah. the beauty of technology, I suppose, isn't it? Yes, sir. You're yeah. in. You wouldn't have been able to do that in 1999. No. Back then, what I would do is I literally designated Mondays, I'm at, at the Kearney Mesa location. Tuesdays, I'm in San Marcos. You know, Wednesdays. I'm in this lo- uh, Vista location. I still remember the days now. And then on Fridays, all the locations would come to the Kearney Mesa location in San Diego. They're all in San Diego. They would come to the Kearney Mesa location where we would do sales training mm-hmm. with the managers. And then we would do um, like customer client service training with the team. And then I take them to the, there was a green burrito. And then we'd all eat together. Break, I was a, I'm a big fan of if you can break bread with your team, mm-hmm. like you've, you've really got an advantage. Sure. Uh, and, and, and you saw me going with my team, like, hey, I've got to go break, break yeah. bread first. Yeah. So what, outside of being in different locations day to day, what were your major, maybe two or three, I can't imagine you were doing 10, 12, 15 different things at once. What were your two, three, four major, like, 
responsibilities at that time? Was it mentoring and, and growth development, that kind of stuff? Yeah, DMS, Delegate, Motivate, Sell. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's in that era between 99 and 2003 that I created the 5% rule that I talk about. And the 5% rule is about as the leader, the founder, the CEO, whatever you want to call yourself at the top, there's usually about 5% of the things you need to do to move the needle. Mm-hmm. That 5% doesn't include writing payroll checks. It doesn't include filling up you know, toilet paper in the restrooms. It doesn't include you know, filling up the shelves with shirts and supplements, etc. So my 5% is DMS, delegate, motivate, and sell. So I'll delegate to my team. These are your core metrics, your KPIs that you have to meet, right? Key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. And so the managers knew that they had to have a set show close. And set show close means how many people do you have set to show up today as an appointment? Mm -hmm. How many have actually showed up? How many did you close? If we have six set, I can almost predict what the bottom of the funnel is going to Six people set, four will show, two will close. And so if the front number isn't there, so I looked at selling, right? Delegate, motivate, sell. That's the sales funnel. The motivating is getting them out there and talking to local businesses who can send us traffic. In my time, there was no Facebook, no nothing like that. It was lead boxes. Every location had to have 50 lead boxes out Mm. from the pizzeria to the hamburger store to the, to, to the, to the day spa and the hair salon. We had lead boxes out that you fill out to get a free year of personal training. And of course, everybody was a lead. And so as long as I can do my 5%, which was to delegate, motivate and sell, delegate specifically what I want from them, motivate them to go out and prospect and then make sure that they focus on their sales numbers, I accomplished my goals. If I didn't do the 5% and I focused on trivial stuff, that's where my businesses would tank. Sure. Yeah. Now you've got this massive empire in Fitbody Bootcamp. When you started that, did you start it yourself? And you were like, this was your one gym? Or did you, did you start it as a plant to grow a franchise and grow a massive? No, no. So <laughs> not enough people ask that question. Thank you, Tony, for asking that question. And Because um, I, I would never take full credit of starting Fitbody Bootcamp myself. And in fact, I wrote a book recently, and I don't take credit for it in the book. Um, one of my coaching clients, because I coach and consulted personal trainers after I sold my five gyms, he had a one-on-one personal training gym. And he said, hey, I, I think this whole boot camp group training thing is the way to go. I said, well, then go out there and train people in the park. Like have one of your trainers train people in the park. This way you've got the exclusive high-end personal training doing one-on-one. And you've got people who can't afford the high-end stuff paying 150 200 bucks a month for boot camp. He goes, yeah, but I think there's a better way to do it. I said, what do you think it is? He goes, I think we can do it indoors. I go, look, as your coach, I'm not going to ask you to go and sign a lease and build out an indoor boot camp. I go, but I got an idea. There's a gymnastic center, like three doors down. What do they do in the mornings? He goes, nothing. Those kids don't go into gymnastics until after school. Mm-hmm. Well, let's walk in there and offer to pay them 500 bucks a month and see if they'll let us put some dumbbells in there and some basic equipment, train people in the group. We did, and they did, and for $500 a month, we were training clients from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. So about three to four sessions, workout sessions is what we call them. We don't call them classes. We call them sessions, just like personal training. And all of a sudden, he's generating twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 from that location. So we got two or three more locations like that. And we realized that if we had our own standalone location, we could actually train people in the evenings as well. So we finally, after having five locations that were inside of gymnastics centers throughout Orange County, wow. the sixth one was a standalone and he goes, hey, um, listen, people are asking me if they can do their own like this, but I don't know how to coach them. So we created a licensing program, no different than CrossFit. 
well, great. You can have the Fitbody brand and we'll license it for you. And um, whatever we're doing here at these five locations, you could do there. Well, soon we were licensing more and more and more. And just to be good to people, hey, you know, because they would ask, oh, are you going to put another Fitbody next to me? No, no, no. Um, How about this? We'll give you five mile radius, Mm -hmm. right? Here's how archaic we were, guys. Being in Orange County, if you give someone in Newport Beach a five mile radius, about two miles of that is in the ocean. Like that. (laughs) We realized maybe that's a bad idea. You know, the the whole radius thing is we need to rethink this. What I didn't realize was that by giving them a protected territory, by teaching them and holding them accountable, because if you're going to be a fit body boot camp, you can't charge uh, less than $169 a month, because if you do, you're creating price erosion for all the other fit bodies across the county, right? Mm -hmm. So by setting the price, by giving protected territories, we had ventured into franchise territory. Mm-hmm. That's when the great state of California says, you're operating as a franchise and you owe us $2,500 <laughs> per location as a fine. And at that point, we had 89 um, licensed <laughs> locations. Right. They might as well ask for $250 because we didn't have that kind of money. Like, sure. We were literally like hand, we were charging $2,000 buy-in fee and then $150 a month licensing fee. Like, Where are we going to come up with that kind of money? Right, yeah. yeah. So now, fast forward, how many years is it since you started? Uh, 700 locations. Seven. So just over 700 locations, and we're adding about 25 locations per month. Wow. And how, what's your biggest challenge now with, with that? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> compliance. Compliance. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, we're, in, we're sitting inside of Box and Burn, and I love, the moment I walked in here, and I, I love all types, like I'm a gym connoisseur, like I love all types of gyms. And I come in here and I see the mural behind us and it's beautiful. And now imagine if all of a sudden you license one of these out to me and I build it just like this. But guys, I've got this great idea. I'm going to put a juice bar in the corner. Right. Or guys, I'm going to put a kid's club in the corner. Mm-hmm. Or uh, hey guys, I'm going to put whatever. I'm going to put carpet bonded foam on the floor and make it look like a fit body boot camp. By the way, that's why our floors are still carpet bonded yeah. blue foam. Mm-hmm. That's what a gymnastics center's flooring is. Right. right? So people are like, my daughter is, does gymnastics on floors like that. It's like, yeah, that's where we got the idea yeah. from. <laughs> and so compliance, both on the ownership side and on the client side, because then the clients will, of course, hey, I got a smoking deal. I want my neighbor to get the smoking deal. Well, you got that smoking deal three years ago when you signed up at that location. Yeah. Now the prices are different. So compliance is one of the big challenges that we have. Uh, knockoff brands, literally, like if you remember coming to America with Eddie Murphy, there was mcdonald's and there was mcdonald's yeah, right? yeah. We, we have fake fit body boot camps out there that we have wow. to literally lay down the hammer of uh, and i always tell the hq i was like hey lay down thor's hammer like i have no mercy yeah. for anyone who opens up a fake fit body boot camp from time to time we've even had actual franchisees who own one but popped open two more elsewhere using the same systems and we don't find out until a new territory Someone wants that territory. They go, yeah, but there's already a fit body there. No, there's not. We're looking on our map. Yeah, wow. you're you're saying that's um, an issue. Cle- clearly, it's an issue. But I always think about um, the CrossFit brand, right? That how they, I think it's over fifty percent of the revenue that they generate is from uh, lawsuits against companies trying to use the CrossFit name. Right. So they actually make more from people trying to use the name who shouldn't be than they do off the people that have got the CrossFit yeah. brand. Well, you want to hear something interesting? So when you want, so once you get to that level where you've you've established the franchise so much, then people trying to replicate that is also revenue in a, in, a, in a way, right? 
There's also cost involved. <laughs> there's cost involved and there's karmic cost involved. And I'm not by any means a tree hugging, woo woo, let's go, light an incense. I'm not that guy. I'm very pragmatic. But I believe in karmic justice. And yeah. so we'll lay down Thor's hammer. And, I shouldn't even say that. Should probably, anyway, <laughs> we will pursue any kind of litigation we want. Yeah. But most of the time, they just stop because we right. come with so much claws and fangs that they just stop. We have, we've never sued anyone, and I've yet to be sued in the 18 years that I've been oh, in business. Really? Yeah. No yeah. shit. Wow. Yeah. And I can't say that for a lot of people because I never burn a bridge. I know that mm-hmm. for like the, our industry, our, the world now, because mm-hmm. of the internet, it's so connected. Yeah. I never burn a bridge, and I knew that long ago because one of the lessons my dad taught me was just like, just don't, don't burn a bridge. Yeah. Don't yeah. talk bad about anyone. Yeah. Word will get to them. We've been sued three times in, in five years. Good Lord. Yeah. It's terrible. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, More on the client side of and, and risk exposure and right. you know, accidents right. and that stuff. Yeah. So now now what? Like, you're a content-making machine, Bedros. Yeah. You are. You really are. I, I follow you on Instagram and other platforms, YouTube, and there's content going out every day. I'm on your email list. You've got, a, a, obviously, a great team behind you. Is that something that you focus on. Now, when you said about the 5%, I'm guessing that's part of your 5% is creating the content. Part of my 5% is creating content. It absolutely is. But the part that you guys don't see that, again, I have to give credit to is the team of 42 people that we have at our headquarters. Two of them are just full-time content writers. They're writing my weekly article for entrepreneur.com and Inc. Magazine and our newsletter in my voice. It's because they've studied my voice for years and all the thousands of YouTube videos I've made. And I've sat with them and coached them and mentored them. And here's how I would speak. And we figured out a method where instead of taking notes, turn on your recorder device on your computer and let me talk, interview me, and then go write the article with my intensity, my passion, the words I use. Don't use fancier words. If I use two-syllable words because I'm a foreigner, let's stick with two-syllable words. Yeah. Like that gives the flavor. And so I've built such a strong team and I'm so grateful for my team that they make me look larger than life and they make me look like I'm everywhere all the time doing the work myself. In fact, I'm not. The content we're producing here, within 24 hours, I'll have in my hand and I, yeah. I can choose whether I want to post it tomorrow or next week. Yeah. But that's how quick they turn around. So we have these certain rules like speed of, implement- speed of implementation is king. Uh, we never overthink anything. When you have to make a decision, be decisive. If it's the wrong decision, course correct. We have rules that we follow in our mm-hmm. workspace that make us work at lightning speed. Uh, we don't have too many meetings. It's just go figure it out. And I know that Ed's videos are different than Jonathan's videos that are different than Drew's videos who's at the HQ. And depending what kind of footage we want shot, it's, I'll take that person with me to that event. And so but it's a rhythm that we've created over years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I it, it looks like that man B's pumping out all this content. Yeah. And we, we were eating lunch right now, and they're like, "Dude, you should come up with this. You should do this." Where we you're standing in front of a Lamborghini talking, and it looks like you're about to walk into the Lamborghini, but you just jump into your pickup truck and yeah. drive off, right? Because yeah, everyone's that's class, right? <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, that's that's brilliant. Let's yeah, go rent a Lamborghini because yeah. I can't fucking fit into a Lamborghini. Look at me. <laughs> I love my truck, you know." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's it's the team that makes me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love to talk a little bit about retention and, and attracting and hiring. And so you're talking about your your team at HQ. What are some of the things that you do to to recruit new 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 team members? And then maybe you've dealt with this as as your gyms were expanding, as your franchise were expanding, <clears throat> retaining people because you know obviously, like you said, there's always more competition popping up and. 
um, we've kind of run into that ourselves a little bit, but you got to maybe, maybe you got a team member that's kind of wavering, thinking about doing something else. How do you retain those people and bring them back in? Or do you kind of just let them go? Like, what are some of your, your principles there? Good question. Um, there's a lot to say there. So I'll start with what my friend Cameron Harold, who, um, was the CEO or the COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Remember, you've seen those mm-hmm. trucks, right? Yeah. They pick mm-hmm. up all the junk from here. That became like a $250 million company. And he says, uh, find a way to handcuff the best employees to your business. And I'll do whatever it takes to handcuff them once I learn that strategy. To a degree, right? Mm-hmm. And so someone is good for your business. They're looking for two things. First, they're looking for money, a certain amount of money to live a lifestyle they have. Sure. Above money comes recognition. Sure. IBM did a study years ago that once people's need for money is met, next they want recognition and opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. If you can provide those two things, the money is no longer that big of a factor, right? right? And so, you know, the guys do. We, we pay them well. We have health benefits and 401ks and all this stuff. And now we do revenue share with them. So I found all these different ways to handcuff all my best team members to the business. Hey, if you've been me, with me for a year, that means I like you. Mm-hmm. That means you qualify for our partnership rewards program. We call it the PRP program, where we literally share one and a half percent of our monthly, of our quarterly revenue with our team, as long as these KPIs are met, mm-hmm. right? And we have a giant TV screen right in our big lobby of our headquarters that shows how many franchises we sold this month and how many web specials we sold. And it's just two KPIs. And I want every single guy, from the video guy or gal to the web developer to the sales reps, to keep the numbers front of mind. Mm-hmm. And so we find a way to, find, to handcuff them through meeting their financial needs and then, of course, recognition and opportunity to grow. Sure. So recognition could be you know, flying around with me, mm-hmm. right? flying around and creating content. Recognition could be, hey, fellas, I need more cool videos, but I don't want to seem like a douchebag and I'm not willing to go rent a Lamborghini and a fake jet just to <laughs> show that. Yeah. I'll fly private when I want, but I don't, that's not my life. I don't want to show that. I don't want to fake that. So they come up. So recognition is letting them get the creative ideas instead of mm. me saying, hey, here's what we should do. It's not a top-down mm. command mm. anymore. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is we hire not on skill sets but on personality because mm. if you've got a strong culture, then everything else will grow together. And we've got a really strong culture at our headquarters and many of our Fit Body Bootcamp locations you're a great trainer, but you're fixed-minded, and you go, no, I can't train this type of person, we're not going to hire you. We're going to hire someone who's open-minded, has a personality of, you know what? Show me that I can train this person. Teach me how. Mm. And then the third thing is we believe in team development. Even though they all came factory installed with amazing video skills, editing skills, shooting skills, there's still skill sets that we taught them. So I'm always developing my team by bringing Cameron Harold in, Craig Ballantyne, uh, I run workshops, uh, leadership workshops, sending them to Disney's, Disney University workshops on leadership. And by doing that, what are you doing? You're giving them recognition. Mm-hmm. Hey, I value you so much, I'm going to keep investing money and time in you. Mm-hmm. We sent two of our team leads to Jocko Willink's muster, right? He wrote Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they come back from Washington, D.C. after two days of like training in the mud and in the rain and learning leadership stuff. And I'm like, all right, now you guys are going to teach the other 40 people everything you learned. It's like, wow, okay, you not only invested in me, mm-hmm. but now you're having me lead and teach. Mm-hmm. And that shows so much recognition that they don't want to leave. But make no mistake about it, we all have KPIs. We all have expectations. Like, they need me to be on when I show up. I expect them to be on when I show up as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Rouge told me you're the best people person he knows. Like, you're the best at, at talking to people. And 
and helping people and all that. So it's a learned experience. I, yeah. I used to be the worst. Really? Yeah. So uh, with you motivating your team, you must be really good at that, right? Is that something that you see you've worked on? I've worked on. My, I wrote a book called Man Up. It comes out this sept, uh, September 18th. And um, I, I fully expose like, what a hypocrite I was. I was passive aggressive with my employees, which led to an adversarial relationship, which led to me resenting them. And then which led to them quitting. And on their way out, literally, I had one employee take all of our franchise agreements. This was in 2013. Put them in two garbage bags, pour coffee and carpet cleaning fluid in it, and then gave me the finger and walked out. Right, and effectively, we lost six hundred forty thousand dollars in revenue from that one incident. From that one incident, because I was such a poor leader with ineffective communication skills, indecisive as hell, unclear in my vision, you name it. Today, I don't have employees. I have I have team members, and we have a very specific goal: twenty five hundred locations by the year twenty twenty three. Uh, but with a thousand or less owners, we know that we don't want twenty five hundred Fit Body Bootcamp owners. Yeah, we want less owners, which means we will make higher profits, which means I can pay my team better, and I'll have a smaller team at the headquarters, which means less ticking time bombs. Make no mistake about it. Employees, most of them, are employee are ticking time bombs. Yeah, something happens at home, they bring it to work. Right, they infect your clients, your business, your bottom line, your reputation. Mm. And so, since I've got winners on board. If I have to hire another video guy, I don't know if he's going to be a winner. So I'd rather keep a high-profit, low-person business so that I can pay these guys more to perform more instead of bringing in a fifth person who's unknown. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. great. When I think of the word man up, it's like grow a set of balls. That's what I think of it. Yeah. Tell me about your man up boot. Is that what it's about? Grow a set of balls. In a... a in a nutshell, yeah. It's, people go, well, what does man up mean? It's stop making excuses, take control of your situation, and rise to your potential. In 2012, 2013, Fit Body Bootcamp was losing more franchise locations than we were gaining. Wow. Yeah, we were literally going out of business. I had bought out my business partner um, after a big blowout because I was just so passive aggressive. I would hear his Corvette driving, driving up. And my heart would start racing, my throat would get tight, I start getting tunnel vision, and I'd go out the back door, get in my car, and leave. I would oh. abandon ship, right? One of the two leaders would literally leave, and with no warning to anyone. At the time, we only had nine employees. Today, we've got a team of 42. And I address everything with op- openly, honestly, and clearly. And then I go, now, what is it that I asked you for? And we have a process. It's tell, show, do. I tell them, and then I show them what I want. And I go, now go out and do it, right? And so there is no miscommunication anymore. But all this to tell you that, you know, there was a time where I was such a bad leader that I had to write about it because it took me five years to become a more effective communicator, to be, become more decisive, clear in my vision. 2013, you asked me, Bedros, how many Fit Body Bootcamp locations do you want? The answer would be a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do you want a lot by? As soon as possible. That's the most fuzziest, unclear vision ever. Right. Like every team member knows now how many locations we want and by when and what our path is. They know that we have to sell 34 locations a month to get to our goal. We are, we are behind because we're averaging around 20, 25 locations. Like we are behind goal, right? And so we're hauling ass to get there. And so because, but I share the good, the bad, and the ugly with them. The, most leaders don't want to share the ugly because they want to look great. It's like, guys, I don't have the answer for this. What do yeah. we do? We figured out that we need to recruit the vice president of, of, uh, of sales from Mathnasium. 
the tutoring franchise, mm-hmm. right? The, the president of math, Mathnasium got terminally ill. This is an unfortunate thing that happens. He got terminally ill. We heard that the, there's people abandoning in the, in the higher-ups position. Uh-oh. Is, how's the vice president of sales? Is he about to abandon? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's reach out to him. Hey, look, we need more help in the sales department. Can you help us here? It's a fitness franchise. He goes, dude, my dad back in the 60s, 70s owned a gym in Garden Grove. Mm. So even though I sell mathematics tutoring franchises, I'd love to sell fitness. Well, great. Come, let's have a talk, right? Like I'm recruiting. Now a good leader goes, I don't have the answer. And then someone on my team goes, can we recruit? I'm like, holy hell. The former me, if I felt I didn't have the answer, to say I didn't have the answer meant I was showing weakness, mm-hmm. right? So I would just try and figure it out on my own. And so the book really is about my transformation from a poor leader to an effective leader and really stop, I stopped making excuses like there's no good employees, they don't understand what I want, the competition's too steep, my business partner's too stupid, and I took full ownership of it and I took control of the situation. And when you take control, by the way, it's the most gratifying, freeing thing ever because now you have a sense of I can do something about it. And then I said, what's my potential? The potential is 2,500 locations. By when? 2023. Well, who's going to do it? I am. There is no man on the white horse that's going to gallop in and save the day. Like, I'm that guy, and I finally decided to step into my leadership role. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine you had so much going on during that time. You're talking about how poor of a leader you were, and now you've really um, molded yourself into a much better leader. How did you handle all those things at once? Like, what... Um, one thing I learned, God, you guys ask all the right questions. All right. <laughs> I accidentally stepped into my leadership uh, role. I was listening to Howard Stern because the best thing to do when your franchise is failing is to avoid it. Because mm-hmm. you go home and talk to your wife about it, well, she's going to give you an earful. So my relationship at home sucked. My relationship with my employees sucked, with my business partner sucked, and we're losing more franchise locations than we're gaining. So why not just hide in your car and read books? And mm-hmm. since I listened to Howard Stern, I'm a big Howard Stern fan, he, um, he was interviewing a guy named Howard Wasden, who was a SEAL Team 6 sniper in Mogadishu in the 90s when Black Hawk Down went, happened, right? And so he goes, hey, everybody, you guys should go buy his book, Howard Wasden. I'm like, hey, that's great. While Fit Body Bootcamp's failing, now I can read about war stories. I literally bought the guy's book because I'm a Howard Stern fan, and he says, buy this, and I buy it. Sitting in my book, in my car, reading this book, and I'm learning about them going through boot camp and how they have to, in boot camp, they learn how to communicate, shoot, and move. And as a Navy SEAL, if you can communicate, shoot, and move, you have a very high chance of surviving a mission and even a greater chance of capturing or killing the bad guy, which is all their mission is. It's either capture or kill or get intelligence, period, right? All right, communicate, shoot, and move. Gosh, I'm a horrible communicator. Um, now that Facebook's around, I'm not moving, I'm not pivoting. And as an entrepreneur, if you don't pivot, right, you know, I'm going to keep doing lead boxes, even though there's a possibly a better marketing way. So I, I wasn't communicating, I wasn't moving, and I wasn't shooting, meaning I wasn't taking action. I was indecisive. The three things that this guy talks about, what he learned in boot camp, in war, turns out is very applicable as an entrepreneur, and I wasn't fucking doing it, mm. right? And so, but I still didn't care at that point. It wasn't like I had an aha moment, and I'm going to go and apply this. Well, then I get so fascinated about Navy SEALs and who is this clandestine group that's doing all these things. Let me go get another Navy SEAL book and another. In about two years, I read 11 Navy SEAL books, from Marcus Luttrell's book, Lone Survivor, to Chris Kyle's book, to um, the No Easy Day, which was the killing of Osama bin Laden. And then recently I read The Operator, which was the real story of the killing of Osama bin Laden. Mm. But 11 Navy SEAL books in that two and a half year period, and I kept seeing the same thing. 
communicate, shoot, and move. Be decisive. Learn how to communicate and pivot when things aren't working. Don't just stand there. You're going to get shot, right? Pivot. And then I learned something called prioritize and execute. And so, and I learned that through Jocko Willing's book. Prioritize and execute means you have a lot of shit happening right now. What's the worst shit? Fix that first. Prioritize that. So once I realized, like, oh, my gosh, these guys are coaching me about my business. All right, what did I learn? Prioritize and shoot. All right, I've got the franchise is losing owners right now. Um, but I'm trying to get new owners to fill the, no, prioritize. Okay, forget about trying to get new owners. Stop the bleeding first. Stop losing franchisees. So I jumped in and started coaching our franchisees and stopped the hemorrhaging first instead of constantly trying to lead generate and close. Because mm-hmm. now they just keep leaving as I get them in. And so it, it's the craziest thing that here I am trying to wait it out, read books and get entertained while my franchise is failing. Mm-hmm. All the while I'm getting the best leadership experience ever. And I applied it to my Fit Body Bootcamp franchise. And within the next five years, we got on the Inc. 5000 list, Inc. 500 list. This year, we hit Entrepreneur Magazine's 500 fastest growing franchises. And uh, I, I'm an accidental success, and I had to write about it. Yeah, amazing. What, Sorry, go on. Uh, one, one question I have about when, you, when you're building your team, like how much do you have to put um, trust into it? Like, how, at what point do you go, okay, I trust this person to execute my vision? Or is, are you always somewhat kind of overseeing at all times? Because one thing that I notice, and I'm going to say this with these two right here, right here, is they're involved like heavily day to day with everything. And I, I say to Tony a lot of the time, like, look, t- you've got to step back. You've got to trust the team that you've got to execute your vision. And um, I think that m- might be why we don't quite grow as fast because you, you're you both really particular about what they want. And, and that's a good thing. But yeah. there comes a time when you, you, you've got to step back and trust the people that are in place to, yeah. to deliver it. And we talked about what Martin Rooney said, right, about the, the definition of an entrepreneur. is like, can you step away from your business for two, three months or completely and it still just runs without Rules. you being there? That's yeah. the true definition right. of entrepreneurship. That is the only definition of an entrepreneur. Otherwise, you own a job. Right, exactly. Yeah. So back to my original point, like how much, when, when do you know when to trust and when to step in? Like that's the You give them little tasks. And if they win the little tasks, you give them medium tasks. Mm. They win the medium tasks, you give them larger tasks. And so that's exactly how all of these guys and gals who work with me won their position. I right? love that, yeah. And so right. we have, for example, the video guys, it's a team of four. One of them is the team lead, right? So anything that goes wrong, we're going to jump down that lead's throat. Those, that, so we have six departments. So, so there's six department leads. The six department leads answer to one of my two VPs. So each VP handles a couple of departments. The two VPs answer to me. And so it's really a position where something goes wrong, like with the video guys, and they're right here. Drew's going to get it first. And Drew's not even here, right? But Drew's going to get it first. If one of these guys didn't show up on time, Drew's going to get it. They're going to hear it, but Drew's going to get it. Mm. Like, what happened that the ball got dropped, Drew? Well, I told him, Okay, did you remind him the night of and the morning of? No, then it's poor communication on your part, right? Right. And so maybe Drew says, hey, set up a timer. Maybe these guys, he trusts, but Drew obviously trusts these guys where they show up on time. Now, like I can trust them. Like we take different flights and they show up and they do their thing. But if one thing went wrong, then it's, all right, what went wrong? How could you have done it right? Create a new process for it. Goes back to people and process. Create a new process for it. Now, don't fuck it up ever again because you're fired. And we will part ways very quickly. We fire fast, hire slow. Hmm. And so little wins lead to medium wins, lead to big wins. 
And as long as you guys are willing to trust the team on the little wins and they prove themselves, give them medium tasks. They prove themselves bigger tasks. They will mess up the bigger tasks or the medium tasks because the, they're human. Yeah. I still mess things up. I literally still show up late to some meetings because, or Joan, one of my VPs, will double book me for something. i got to be two places at one time. But that's the human condition. Outside of the human condition, if it's just excessive or you see the person's mentally checked out, and you will have good people turn lame. Literally, good people will just turn lame and check out. You have to part ways with them very quickly if you can't help them. So your job as leaders, my job as a leader, is to give these guys rope. Guys, here's rope, which means knowledge, information, opportunity. Build a ladder and work yourself up. Or hang it over a branch and hang yourself. What yeah. you do with the rope is on you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. When, so you do the fitness business summit every year, right? Yes. Every year. Yeah. So this is a, an event where... People like us, we, we were in the last one, and we were in at one about five or six years ago as well. Uh, business owners go there, and it's a great event. It's got loads of speakers on and all that. The last one that you did, you got on the stage, and you were selling your mastermind. You done like a little sales pitch, well, a, a big sales pitch, and yeah. I was telling GF Rouger about it, and it was one of the one of the best uh, sales pitches. If you like, it wasn't like a sales pitch where I was trying to sell you stuff. Or you just told people. What you were offering, which sounded fucking amazing, and if they could get, if they if they could match you, what, what do you what do you do? You've got they've got to apply for it, right? They've got to yeah, apply for yeah, it. it's an application. Process. Application, yeah. And if they get accepted in the application, they can do it. It's like two, two and a half grand a month, was yeah. it? Yeah, twenty eight hundred dollars a month. Yeah, for twelve months. And you and you so you got on the stage and you and you told them all this, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like you're super talented at speaking. And I went outside our little booth outside, and then there was a line of about forty people there applying to pay like twenty eight hundred a month. Yeah, like wow, amazing. But I mean, that's a track record of about fifteen years, right? So uh, this that was my eleventh fit, fitness business summit. Which, by the way, again, talk about accidental success in every category. Accident, the fitness business summit started. I applied to speak at the NSCA World Conference. Um, and they said, what's your topic? I said, marketing, of course. Like, you guys have amazing trainers. I'm, I'm, I'm an NSA certified, but I was a bouncer and I was a fry cook, man. Like, marketing, like, let's get more clients. That's a topic we don't need. If you can talk about the posterior chain, oh. then mm. you're, I don't want to talk about, everyone's <laughs> talking about the posterior chain. Yeah. So then I applied to speak at the Idea World Conference. What about marketing? Let's get more leads. Let's get more clients. No, no, no. If you can talk about the next BOSU ball workout we're in. All right, so they both places denied me. I'm like, you know what? I'm talking. I'm just griping to my wife, and she always has the best answer. She would do something about it. I'm going to have my own event. That's literally how it came to be. I'm going to have my own event. 2007. It was the year. I didn't know that you need a stage. I'd never spoken from an event. I just wanted to help my industry out and get paid for it, right? And so I rented a little hotel conference room. We got 98 people together. They paid like a hundred bucks. I had no stage. And in the very first moment I realized, oh, I think I need a stage because I can't see past the first <laughs> blend of people. Yeah. <laughs> you can see everyone trying to crane their neck and see me. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. We, we had my brother-in-law with like a handy cam, like, like filming us. And you know, these days we have a half a million dollar production. We give away a Land Rover and it's a big, big show and massive speakers. But and my, I remember the very first event, 2007, I was wearing a blue collared shirt and I could feel the sweat beating down between my traps, down my back, <laughs> right into my ass crack. <laughs> and I just feel that, I'm like, oh God, I hope I'm not moving right now and making it obvious, right? And, and by the time I was done, I was, you know, sweat pits. 
These days I take the stage and I'm, I've gotten good at it because of the 10,000 hour rule, right? Not only do I speak at my own event, I speak at about 30, 40 events a year. And I'm a paid wow. presenter. And when I, when I pitch from the stage, I believe in going fully transparent. Yeah. Like not only do I go, here's what you get. I go, here's who it's for. Here's what it will cost you. And then here's five people. As I brought those five people up on stage and here's the mic. What were the results you've seen? Well, I was broke. I was homeless. I was, I couldn't afford diapers for my kids. Like they, all the stories are nuts. I go, now if you want to be like them and you have the money, go sign up. If the money's going to stop you from paying, paying me is going to stop you from putting food on the table or rent, sign up next year. Yeah. Here's the applications go. And every year we sell, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 of these masterminds. Yeah. 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 You were total transparent, which was, which was great to see. And, uh, I think the results from, from that event will have, will have shown that, how, how good you spoke. Uh, so now you're doing, you, you charge 50 grand a year for, yeah. I've seen you on your Instagram this morning, you post about something, 50 grand a year for coaching and then 20 grand a day to come in and talk to yeah, a for a one-on-one. Yeah. Tell me what someone would get for 20 grand. Uh, for 20 grand, you have to know the outcome you want. Like I'm right. not a motivator, I'm not, not going to inspire you, I'm not going to motivate you. But if you're like, look, I've got two gyms. So let's yeah. use the example. I got two gyms and I want to have 300 gyms in the next two and a half years. I go, okay, do you want these gyms to be all yours? Do you want business partners? Do you want to license it like CrossFit? Or do you want to franchise it like our Fit Body Bootcamp? And you can pick one. I can help create the outcome. Here's how the marketing is going to look. Here's how your leadership is going to look. Here's exactly how you're going to do the territories. And I'm going to give you specificity in that one day. And then you're going to have a blueprint to follow. What I don't tell people, because this technically doesn't come with the program, this way I can opt out of it, that I do follow up with these people like every month and get on the phone with them and go, hey, man, how's it going? Are you following the blueprint? Mm. But if they're whiners, complainers, I can say, hey, that was my gift to you, right? Like you're just paying for the right. one day. The people who I will follow up with are the people who have teeth and implement. Mm. Those who, well, I, I'm afraid and th- this is happening and what ifs, the what ifs and yeah buts Sorry, man, you paid for your one day. That's it. You got the blueprint. Those who are like, man, I'm out there implementing, but I ran into this landlord who has a conditional use permit issue. And I have to wait four, four months to see if we're going to get the conditional use permit. We may not get it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, that's a good problem. Let's work through it. Right? But if it's like, I just feel like I shouldn't do this, that this isn't my path. <laughs> Dude, Tony Robbins. You got to go see Tony Robbins, yeah, not yeah, me. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. that guy. Yeah. That's my yeah. personality fixing, which is just... Totally different. I, I can make world. a lot of money, a lot more money if I knew how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just you tell me what the outcome you want in business and I can help you get there. Not in your personal life because I can tell you how to fuck that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so effectively for the 20 grand, you're writing basically a, a business plan for them, really. Right? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And, it, and it's not based on theory. It's based on here's what I've done. Right. And then here's, like I told you, I have like eight different equity partners. From right. in all different industries mm. and here's what we've done in all these other industries so I own a software company and it's a seven figure company so someone who wants to do software I got the idea like I know what you can do someone who wants to start as a consultant to young millennials well guess what I own equity in uh, Jason Capital's business and so I can tell you how we scale that to multiple seven figures and so I come from a place of I'm, I'm not a I don't profess I practice Right, and so because I practice, I can give you the path that's direct and true, and not like, hey, I think this is going to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where do you get the time from? You've got so much going on, and you've got a family, two kids. Oh Where? man, I am uh, re- relentlessly, relentlessly structured in my days. You are relentlessly. Structured. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like like Jay knows that at four o'clock we need to be hanging out together because by <laughs> six I need to leave him to be with my family. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your five year plan, is that right? Twenty 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 three, yeah, you said? Twenty three, yeah. Uh, have you got have you got thought any further on than that? As far as per, for my own personal growth I have, yeah. I plan on writing three more books. Right. Uh in that time. Um I want to take equity in at least eight or nine more companies. Um, that I feel I can help grow. Mm. And the way I take equity in full disclosure, I take that. These are coaching clients. So the first year, the $50,000 a year coaching program, when they're coaching with me for that year, I get to see if they're action takers or not. It's like they're paying me to vet them out, right? Mm. And they're getting great results. If they're getting great results and they're ready to, to sign up a second year, but I know that if I install my leadership team, my sales team into their business, we can force multiply their growth. I go, hey, instead of paying me a second year, can I take equity in the business? And after five years, you buy me out for the new valuation mm. of whatever my 15, 20% is worth. Yeah. If the answer is yes, then off we go. Um, so crazy. Elliot Hulse with Strength Camp. I own equity in Strength Camp. And, um, and, and I love that model because it's fair. Like if I perform, I get paid out at the end of five years. If I don't, you're really buying me out for whatever, I, whatever the company's worth then yeah. anyway. Yeah, you don't yeah. lose anything. So you get all those, those companies that you, you like to... Um, invest in and become, you know, equity ownership. Those, all those people that, that you work with through that mastermind group. Yeah. All yeah. of them. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's a filtration process of, cause let me tell you, you'll get a lot of people like, man, I'm going to pay you the 50,000. I'm going to, I'm going to be the hardest working coaching client you've ever met. They never make it to day two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they show up drunk on day two. I've had it all happen. They, mm-hmm. they, they, the nuttiest thing, or they're the most beta indecisive person you've ever met and they can fight their way out of a wet paper bag. Like, I don't want to be partners with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Edward, this has been great. And I've talked to you all day because we're in this industry and I, and I love it. And I love following you on your social media as well and your YouTube. Can you tell people uh, where to follow you? Yeah. Easiest place to follow me is on uh, Instagram. I'm just fascinated by Instagram right now. Uh, Instagram.com forward slash Bedros Kulian. But I'm actually all over Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, and of course, my blog, Bedros Kulian. Yeah, I mean, you've got a very unique name. And I'll get all these links in the show notes as well. Uh, and I really recommend following Bedros, not even yeah. not just if you're in the fitness industry, but in any business, because you, you you're just giving value out just to every post. You're giving lots of value out, Thank apart you. from the odd selfie that you post. <laughs> not getting much value with that. <laughs> uh, Bedros, thank you for coming on, mate. Really Thanks appreciate it. Thank much. you so thank much for the opportunity, time. guys. Amazing. Amazing.